Are you excited for this new series or what? I'm so excited. Troublemaker. I had a guy stop me this past week. He said, why in the world are you calling a series about Jesus Troublemaker? I said, dude, do you not know who Jesus was and who Jesus is? He is the ultimate troublemaker. Um, his birth, it was troublemaker for King Herod. Later on, he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He's a trouble to Satan and the dark forces of this world. He's a troublemaker to the religious establishment, to the political establishment. Even today, just mention the name of Jesus, and you'll see trouble all around you, won't you? Well, I want to welcome everybody here today. I'm so glad that you're a part. I hope that you'll come every single week. I want to welcome those who are on the stream as well, those who are watching on TV. We're glad that you are a part of the Sagebrush family. Let me start off by asking you a question. Have you ever been in a situation that you couldn't get out of? Like somebody volunteered you to do something that you really didn't want to do. Uh, years ago, I was, uh, took my family to Branson, Missouri. Just out of curiosity, play along at home. How many of you have ever been to Branson, Missouri? Just raise your hand. There's not very many of us, but there's a few of us. You, yeah, okay. For those of you who have never been to Branson, Missouri, it's like Nashville, only dumber. Okay, I just want to <laughs> tell you that. Ha, 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 ha. They have an amusement park there at Branson, Missouri. I love the amusement park. It's called Silver Dollar City. It's owned by a Christian family. It's a great time. If you get the chance to go to Branson, you will be impressed with what that little town has been able to pull off. Well, my dad and my mom, when I was a kid, would take us down to Branson, Missouri to enjoy a day or two at Silver Dollar City. Now, if you know anything about the Midwest, you know that it gets hot and it gets humid. Here in Albuquerque, we get blowtorch heat. Uh, in the Midwest, they get blowtorch heat plus humidity. I mean, you'll come out to go get into your car outside and you will sweat in places you've never sweat before and you will wonder why you even showered in the first place. So it's in the afternoon, it's hot, it's in July, it's humid. And my dad says, hey, let's go inside and let's go to the saloon show. Now my dad loved the saloon show at Silver Dollar City. It was air conditioned, had root beer floats, had peanuts that you could pop the shells off and throw them on the floor. My dad loved that show. I remember one time we're sitting at the show and my dad kind of poked me and said, you know, one day you'll bring your kids to Silver Dollar City. And I said, no, I won't. <laughs> we're going to Disneyland. That's where we're going. I'll tell you that right now. Well, my dad passed away a few years ago. And as kind of a tribute to him, I decided to take my family to Silver Dollar City. And sure enough, it was hot and it was humid. And I thought, you know, I'm going to do what my dad did. We're going to go to the saloon show. Well, we got there a little bit late and we couldn't get seats for all five of us in the same spot. So I sat with my oldest daughter, Mackenzie, in one area. And then my, my wife and my other two kids sat over in another area over here. And the show began and it was wonderful. It was a lot of fun, a lot of singing, a lot of dancing. Then this girl got up on the stage and she said, I want to sing a duet with my sister. And the guy who kind of played the role of the MC said, you want to sing with your sister? Are we talking about your ugly sister? And he went on and on and on about how ugly this girl was. He said, I think I saw her out there in the crowd. Now, I know what's going to happen. He's going to come down and he's going to pick somebody to come up onto the stage, right? He's not looking for a volunteer. He's looking for a victim. That's what's happening in this moment in time. 
Well, I want to help you with this. If you ever go to Silver Dollar City, you find yourself in the saloon show, and they come down trying to make you the ugly sister, I can tell you how you can get out of it. Don't make eye contact with them. That's the way you do it. If you make eye contact with the person who's picking the ugly sister, you will be the ugly sister. Do you understand what I'm saying? So don't make eye contact. And I'm in good shape. Got my ball cap on. Got my sunglasses on. He can't see my eyes. And here's what else you do. You tie your shoe. You look like you're doing something else. You rearrange the table. But you don't make eye contact with this person. Well, he begins to walk around talking about the ugly sister. Goes over to the table where my wife and my two daughters are. I think, yeah, pick one of them. That'd be good right there. <laughs> They're not ugly, but they can play the part. Okay, yeah, one of them. That'd be great. That'd be hilarious. Well, they, he get, continues to walk, and then he walks right down to where my table is. And I said to myself, I said, self, I said, yeah. I said, I didn't even make eye contact. This is not good. This is not good at all. And then he grabbed my daughter, Mackenzie, and raised her up, grabbed her by the elbow, raised her up. He said, I found the ugly sister. And I remember in that moment in time that everything just stopped. And I said a prayer to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) For every gray hair on my head is because of this kid right here. It's nice to see a little payback here on the earth. Thank you, Jesus, for being so good to me. The spotlight comes on my daughter, and the guy says, oh, wait a second. You're not the ugly sister. You're too pretty to be the ugly sister. And that's when I knew I was hosed. (laughs) Took my cap off, threw it to the ground. He grabbed me by the elbow, raised me up. I'm in shock. I'm stunned. I don't know what to do. He says, what's your name? I said, Todd. He said, let's give a round of applause to Todd. He's going to come up on the stage. And so I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me right now. <laughs> Friends, I don't want to do this. So I'm walking over to where the stage is. And I walk by the table where my wife and my two kids are at. And I can't find my wife. The reason I can't find my wife is she is literally on the ground laughing. <laughs> tears coming down. They take me behind the stage. They put some hat on me. They put some frou-frou thing around my neck. They said, when the doors open up, just walk out on the stage and do whatever they tell you to do. I don't want to do this. Well, they open up the door. Now it's my time. I walk out onto the stage, and I, and I become the ugly sister. Now, the only reason we have video of this It's because my wife got up off the floor. Stop clapping. That's not helpful at all. And had the presence of mind to videotape this. It's an old story, so it's an old iPhone. The, the quality's not too good. Maybe I shouldn't even show it. Here it is. All right, Todd. I didn't want to do that. (laughs) I didn't want to shimmy. Do you understand what I'm saying? Here's the amazing thing about Jesus is he volunteered. He volunteered to come. He volunteered to rescue us 
from ourselves. And there's not a single person here in this room, there's not a single person watching at home that you would have volunteered for this assignment. Here you are, you're enjoying the praises of angels in heaven only to come to the earth and hear the cursing of man. Here you are in this beautiful throne room, and now you're going to be born in this smelly, junky stable. Not a one of us would do that. And here's the question I really have. If you were God and you knew what you'd have to do to redeem us, to make us right with with him once again by sacrificing your only son, would you have made us in the first place? If you knew that the people that you created, their mouths would curse you and spit on you, that the people you created could have cared less that you even came. If you knew that you were going to be laid down on a bunch of straw and you were going to wear a baby's diaper. If you knew that the hands that you made would punch you and put nine inch nails into your hands and into your feet. Would you have made us? And if you did make us, would you care about us enough to come and sacrifice your life so that we could have life eternal with him? Friends, you do understand that the entire Bible is all about Jesus. The Old Testament, 39 books from Genesis to Malachi, it's all about the coming of Jesus. Everyone is in great anticipation of Jesus coming. And then he comes in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then at the very end of the Bible, we have the book of Revelation. It talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Friends, we're going to walk through the life of Christ over the next few weeks. And then we're going to even talk about the second coming, the return of Jesus Christ as well. So don't miss a single week of this series. During this time of the Old Testament, there were prophets. And they prophesied about the coming of the Messiah And these people, they didn't get to see the Messiah come. And they endured so much pain and so much heartache. Look at what the Bible says here about the prophets in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, some faced jeers and flogging. While still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world wasn't worthy of them. They wandered around in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. They were all committed for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Notice it says none of them received what was promised. They didn't see in their lifetime the Messiah come. But oh, how they longed for it. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, they wrote down prophecies, over 300 different prophecies. You see, they knew that there was going to be would-be or want-to-be messiahs, people who would proclaim to be the messiah, but they weren't. And so it's as if the prophets of old, as if the Holy Spirit of God said, listen, when you find the person who fulfills all 300 and some odd of these prophecies, you will have found the right messiah. And they're so detailed, these prophecies. They're, They're so precise. Look at this prophecy in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So what's this prophecy say? It says the Messiah has to be born in Bethlehem. You know, around Christmas time, we sing that little song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. That's an accurate song. It was a small little town, just a couple of thousand people. The Messiah has to be born in Bethlehem. Look at Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. 
Now this is 700 years before Mary and Joseph even come on the scene. Now, here's the question, because there are skeptics that say, you know what Jesus did? He just circumnavigated his life, so he fulfilled all of the prophecies. How do you fulfill the prophecy that your mom is going to be a virgin when you haven't even been born yet? How in the world do you pull that off? And yet that prophecy was written 700 years before Mary and Joseph came on the scene. Do you realize how long 700 years is? I mean, in just a few years, we're probably going to celebrate the 250th anniversary of our country. We're talking about 700 years before this prophecy is fulfilled. Look at Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's true, isn't it? He was pierced for our transgressions. Nine-inch nails went into his hands and his feet. He was crushed for our iniquities, for our sin. All the sin of mankind was placed upon Jesus. Far more painful than the crown of thorns and the nails in his hands and feet was that moment when all the sin of mankind was placed upon him. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds... We are healed. Again, prophesied 700 years before Jesus is arrested. Listen, if you ever have a moment when you begin to doubt these things as being true, study the prophecies. The prophecies will remind you that God is faithful, that God is true. And what he says he will do, he will do. Look at Zechariah chapter 11. It says that the Messiah will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Okay, Judas goes to the high priest and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, says, I'll hand Jesus over to you. What will you pay me? Jesus had nothing to do with the payment, you see. They said, we'll pay you 30 pieces of silver. The exact same thing Zechariah prophesied about years earlier. How about Psalm 22? The execution method of Jesus didn't come into being until about 200 years before Jesus was crucified. So this prophecy is written 800 years before Jesus is crucified. 600 years before crucifixion became a means of execution. Now knowing that, listen to these words. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. How do you make sure the soldiers cast lots for your garments when you're hanging there on a cross just moments away from death? You see, Jesus is the Messiah. He fulfilled every single one of the prophecies. And, and this isn't by coincidence, is it? One of the things I want you to get is that God's working his plan and his plan is going to work. Did you know between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, there's a period of 400 years. We call them the years of silence. There's no prophetic visions, no prophetic word from God. There's no angel visitations. It appears that God has kind of given up on his creation, that God is just strangely silent. But behind the scenes, God is setting the table for the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. About 350 years before Jesus was born, there was a man named Alexander the Great. He was a Greek. He went around and he conquered all the known world. And every time he would conquer a known people group, he made them learn Greek. So just as we have today, there's just about every place you can travel in the world today, everyone speaks just a little bit of English. 
In the same way during this time, everybody spoke just a little bit of Greek. How's that setting the table for Jesus to come? Well, when the message of Jesus comes, it can spread quickly because everyone has a common language. About 63 years before Jesus was born, there was a guy by the name of Julius Caesar. Maybe you've heard of him before. He was the Roman conqueror, conquered the Greeks, conquered the known world. You know what he gave us the ability to do during that time? Because it was all the Roman Empire, you could travel about wherever you wanted to. No longer were you separated by borders. No longer were you separated by nations. You could travel wherever you wanted to travel. You see why that's significant? Because now the message of Jesus can spread to the far ends of the earth. God was working his plan. And his plan is going to work. Look what the Bible says here in Galatians chapter 4. But when the time, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. When the time was fully come, when the stage was set, God became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, the, the birth story of Jesus, I believe it honestly to be true. The one that's written there in Matthew and the one that's written in Luke. And the reason I believe it to be true is because if I was writing the story of the coming of God to this earth, I wouldn't have written it the way it was written. I mean, my goodness, if, if I am going to be the king of kings and the lord of lords, if I'm going to come and be born of a baby, I'm going to pick a rich couple. You understand what I'm saying? I'm going to pick somebody with some bling, cha-ching, okay? I'm going to pick a king. I'm going to pick a queen. In fact, I'm going to make the most two beautiful people you ever saw on the face of the earth, and I'm going to be the most beautiful baby that you've ever seen before in your entire life, right? And I'm not going to be born in some smelly little stable. I'm going to a state-of-the-art facility. You understand what I'm saying? I'm thinking Mayo Clinic is going to happen right then and there, and that's where I'm going to be born. I'm going to have the best people making sure that my delivery is successful. And I'm going to let everybody know that I have arrived. We're going to have news conferences, and we're going to put billboards out. We're going to be in every newspaper. We're going to shout it from the rooftops that the Messiah has come. But that's not the story we read about in the Scriptures, is it? A little peasant girl, teenager, gets a visit from an angel, says she's highly favored, that God has handpicked her to give birth to the Son of God. And one of the most amazing statements of faith in all of Scripture, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you've said. And she knows at that moment in time that her whole world is going to fall apart, that nobody's going to believe the story of an angel visitation, that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit of God. Sure enough, when she tells Joseph, he doesn't buy into it. He decides he wants to end the relationship quietly. He loves her, but he doesn't believe her. Angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and says, no, 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 no. What Mary has told you is the truth. You take her home to be your wife. And Joseph is obedient. He does exactly what the angel says. And then this guy is such a righteous person, he doesn't even sleep with her until after Jesus is born. Now, here's what's interesting. We, we read a prophecy that says the baby has to be born in Bethlehem. Here's the problem. Mary and Joseph are in Nazareth. They don't have any <laughs> desire to travel 70 miles in her pregnancy to go to a little town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem isn't even on their mind. So why do they travel there? Well, in those days it came to pass that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Well, guess what? Joseph's from Bethlehem. He has to go to Bethlehem. And wouldn't you know it, in the ninth month of her pregnancy, they travel 70 miles. And I'm guessing traveling 70 miles will induce you to uh, have a baby. Because right when they got there, the baby was born. 
laid in a manger in a smelly stable. Caesar Augustus thinks he's the one calling the shots. You tell me what king is really calling the shots. And there in the little town of Bethlehem, there were shepherds nearby watching their flocks at night when all of a sudden a great company of angels announced the birth of the Messiah. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And there in that smelly stable, Joseph, as the angel had told him, named the baby Jesus. Now, if you're going to understand Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have to understand the names that Jesus has because he has lots of different names. This will help make the Bible come to life for you. For example, he's called Jesus, the son of Joseph. So here's how it would go in the first century. Nobody had a last name. So there'd be more than one Jesus in a town because the name Jesus was a very common name. So you say, well, you hear what Jesus did the other day? Say, which Jesus are we talking about? Oh, Jesus, son of Joseph. That's how they would differentiate between the different Jesuses that were there because they didn't have any last names. Eventually, that transformed over to occupations of the dad. So you say, well, Jesus, who is that? Well, that's Jesus. He's the son of the carpenter, Joseph. And so you would end up with that name, Carpenter, to be your last name. Now, that didn't happen during Jesus' time. happened later on. But that's what happened to my name, right? If I go into my genealogy, somewhere along the line, there was a cook. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm thinking he had a high-end restaurant. You know what I'm saying? Because you're known for cooking. You understand what I'm saying? I don't think he owned a McDonald's. You understand what I'm talking about right now? Names like Smith. That comes from blacksmith, tailor, carpenter, hunter, shearer, mirror, miller. They all come from this tradition. Here's what's interesting. My mom's maiden name was Baker. She went from a baker to a cook. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's messed up right there. You're also going to read that Jesus' name is Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, so there... He's born in Bethlehem. Well, then King Herod wants to kill the baby, and so they go to Egypt for a time, and then the king dies, and so it's safe for them to come back, and they go back to Nazareth, so he will be a Nazarene, right? So here's what they would do. They would say, what Jesus are we talking about? Well, Jesus from Nazareth. That's the one we're talking about. Oh, I know that Jesus. Okay. This is where we get last names like Hill, Wood, West, York, Lane, all come from this tradition. Now, Jesus is also known as the Christ. In fact, many people believe that Jesus' last name is Christ, which is hilarious. And usually when they say it, they don't say it in a very nice manner. Jesus Christ! You know, that's all I'm talking about. That's how, they, that's how they... Don't do that. That's blasphemous. That's offensive to God. Don't do that. But his last name's not Christ. The, the name Christ is a title, like president or king. Do you know what it means? The anointed one. He's the Messiah. I found this interesting. In the Old Testament, there were kings that were called messiahs. Did you know that? Because they were the anointed one. They were God's representation to be the deliverer of their people. But the prophets always prophesied that there would be one that would come that would be even greater than all the kings. That he would be the king of kings. He would be the Lord of lords. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. 
Another term that you'll run across when you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the term Lord. Jesus is Lord. In fact, this is one of the most common terms that his followers give him. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. What in the world does the word Lord mean? Well, it means sir. It means master. It's a sign of respect. It means boss. It means ruler. The best translation for the word Lord, you ready for this, is owner. In the first century, when somebody gave their life over to Jesus Christ, they said, you are my Lord. You are my owner. Bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You know what the number one term a disciple of Jesus would give themselves when they were describing who they were in Christ? It would be the term doulos. It, it, it means slave. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. Wherever he wants me to go, that's where I'll go. Whatever he wants me to say, that's what I'll say. Whatever he wants me to do, that's what I'll do. Now, slavery is not the kind of slavery we talk about in an America context. That's what you think about. Slavery in the first century in the Old Testament, the people would come to a master and they would say, would you take me on? I owe a great debt. And if you'll take me on to be a part of your family, I will work for you and you will pay off my debt. And after seven years, you were free. People chose slavery as a means of getting out of debt. We had such a great sin debt, there was no way we could pay for it ourselves. So we went to the king of kings and the lord of lords and we said, would you take it on? You know what the king of kings said? You can be a part of my family. You're now adopted into my family. You're my son. You're my daughter. And I wipe your debt completely clean. He is the lord of lords. He is the king of kings. He's also called the son of God. This is, this is Jesus proclaiming that he is God in the flesh. And this is the one thing that got Jesus in the most trouble. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, oh, it's blasphemous for someone to say that they're God in the flesh. In fact, these are the charges that they trumped up to try to get Jesus crucified, right? He claims to be the son of God. No, he claims something greater than that. He told his disciples over and over again, if you've seen me, you've seen God. I'm not just the son of God. I am God incarnate. I am God in the flesh. That was the term that he got the most trouble for. He's also called the son of man. You say, what's the difference between the son of God and the son of man? Well, in the first century, everybody knew who the son of man was because Daniel defines who the son of man is. This term is used 90 times throughout the Bible. This is what it says, Daniel chapter 7. The son of man has given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshiped him. His dominion is forever. It will never disappear. He will rule over a kingdom that will never be destroyed. He is the son of man. He's given all authority, glory, sovereign power. All peoples, all nations will bow down and worship him. And in the end, isn't that exactly what's going to happen? At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. Son of man also refers to the kind of suffering that Jesus is going to endure. He's 100% God, 100% man. He takes on our sin debt and dies on a cross uh, for, our, for our paying the price for our sin. He's also referred to as Emmanuel, which means God with us. If you've been to any Christmas service, you know about that. Matthew 1.23, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. As unbelievable as it sounds, God became one of us. And then when he dies and ascends to the right hand of the Father, he gives us the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God is always with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He indwells inside of us. We have a God who understands. 
because he came into our world and he walked our streets and he felt our pain, saw our shame. He entered into our world and he faced everything that we face. You discouraged today? Jesus had moments of that. You frustrated? Jesus had moments of that. Been to a funeral lately? Lost someone you care about? Someone that you love? Jesus grieved over the loss of his friend. Jesus was tempted in every way, yet he didn't sin. And now when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil, for he is with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. He's always by our side, always guiding us, always leading us. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And then we have the term that we know him the most by, and that's the term just Jesus. And even that name has significant meaning. It means the Lord saves. The angel said he will save his people from their sins. We were lost. And we had no hope and no way to pay our sin debt. It was so great. And so Jesus comes, lives a perfect sinless life, dies on a cross for six hours one Friday. He hangs there taking on the sin of all mankind. Twelve noon, the sky grows dark. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Your sin debt, my sin debt was placed upon him. He's dying in our place. And then three days later, he rises again from the dead. He paid in full the debt that we owed a holy God. And now because of Jesus, we get to heaven. Listen to me, you don't get to heaven because you're good. Because you and I both know you ain't good. You're just not good. You don't get to heaven because you showed up to church today for the first week of Troublemaker. You get to heaven because you placed your faith and trust in Jesus. You get to heaven based upon what he did for you, not on what you've done. You get to heaven based upon his goodness and not because of your goodness. He is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Son of God, the Son of Man. He is Jesus. And no one gets to God the Father except through him. He is the king who has come to die. And I think often about Mary and Joseph in that little town, out in that stinky stable. And they're nervous and they're anxious and then the baby finally comes and they're looking the child over. Do, do you think they realize that this is the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice for our sins? In that moment, do you think they understand that? Because I don't think they do. Do you, do you think when they looked at his little hands and his little feet, do you think they thought that one day nine-inch nails will go through his hands, through his feet? Do you think when they rubbed his forehead to calm him down, that they ever thought that a crown of thorns would be gouged into his skull? Do you think when they rubbed his face that they thought one day people will spit at him and mock him and punch him? When Mary held him close and she felt his little tiny heart beat, do you think it ever occurred to her that one day a Roman soldier would take a spear and shove it into his side and pierce his heart and blood and water would flow? Do you think they understood? Maybe the bigger question is this. Do you? Do you love him? 
Are you a slave of Jesus Christ? Is he your owner? What he says goes. Because you owe him everything, don't you? You had no hope. And then he came and gave you hope. You had no way of saving yourself. But Jesus came and paid the price for your sin. Do you recognize today that he is the king of kings? And he is the Lord of lords. He's the original troublemaker. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe that you see something in us that's worth saving. I'm in awe of the sacrifice that you made so that we could have a relationship with you. I'm in awe of your grace and your forgiveness that has no end. I'm in awe that you'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us. Lord, I know that there are people here today and watching from home that don't have a relationship with you and they didn't know the prophecies. They didn't know the amazing birth story. They certainly didn't understand the significance of the names. But they do now. And they feel an emptiness, a longing for something more. And it can only be filled by you. So I pray, Lord, for a moment of clarity, a moment of courage, where people would say, you know what? I want Jesus to be my owner. I want to be bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I want my sin debt, my shame, to finally be washed away. Lord, I pray that in this moment, many people would give their lives to you and many people would take whatever next step of faith they need to take. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.